a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Welcome listeners to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. I'm joined today by a lady from Melbourne in Australia, a lady by the name of Georgia Foster. You may remember Georgia has been with us on a previous episode where she spoke about the seven days to drink less. So Georgia, a very warm welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. And uh, the intriguing, uh, and allow me to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, but slightly risque, or not as the case may be, we'll, we'll answer that question as the, uh, as the conversation unfolds. Uh, but what we're going to be talking about today, Georgia, is the four secrets of amazing sex. Mm. Tell us more. Well, this particular subject is um, obviously a lot of people think, you know, what's that all going to be about? Mm. But, you know, we're all born sexual people and when we obviously are at an age where you are consenting to be a sexual person, the goal is that we all develop a true sense of enjoying being intimate. Yeah. Um, now, many years ago, well, before I became a therapist, my mum went to the US and she studied with the top sexuality um, educator and then she went on to be a, a sex therapist. So many years down the track, when I became a hypnotherapist, we talked about the fact she was helping people change their relationship with themselves sexually to become more confident as a sexual person. And I had been doing it myself in my practice. So we decided to write a book. And what I love about what my mom was doing was studying with the the top professor in the US who has a, a huge history of helping people with gender issues, um, um, you know, helping them, you know, come out being gay, um, cross-dressers. But underpinning all of that, there are a lot of people out there who just are very, very shy about sex. And I think that a lot of people, you know, think that if you want to talk about sex, it's going to be about being dirty or kinky or whatever it is, or it's going to be, as I said, you know, out there. But the mm. fact is that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all created by sex. You know, we should be open to it. We should be talking about it more. And when we created the Four Secrets of Amazing Sex, it was to ignite um, adults across the globe to honour that, you know, irrespective of your sexual history, that you can change it, you can improve it, you can become a sexual person um, where you feel confident in your own skin. And so the four secrets are just the four stages that if your mind is in a good space about intimacy and about being with somebody, that those four stages are there. And if one of those stages is missing, then that person 
will tend to have some level of negativity or underconfidence about being intimate. Mm. I love the way that you frame that, Georgia, from me kind of, uh, as I said, playing devil's advocate and, and almost kind of teasing this, oh, this is risque, um, and, and sort of slightly erring to that, what you alluded to then. It, um, it wasn't meant to be over uh, overly done so, but this kind of, oh, is this going to be smutty or what have you? And so there was a deliberate kind of framing there. So I love the way that you've brought that back and given this some real credibility in some real context so where do we move from there then now we've got that kind of solid base of this this understanding of what we really are talking about here well you know i'd love to talk to you about what those four secrets are if you i mean love to share them with you because the, the thing is that um when we become sexual beings we depending on our upbringing and a lot of people say to me you know um i grew up in a really strict catholic i went to a, a, a convent school and i don't feel comfortable about sex now the reason whatever reason that is for or what happened i believe that the number one of the four secrets which is called seduction is often played out as being something that we feel guilty about now that's the state of desire. That's the attraction seed. And so when somebody feels a sense of wanting to desire somebody, then what actually happens is that brain starts to stimulate the sexual sensations. So I'll put it to you another way. The biggest sexual organ of the body is the brain. And if the brain isn't connected to the sexual experience, it will not be a positive experience. So seduction is really key and it starts in the brain. Now it's a transitional stage, but if seduction is going to work well, obviously it needs to be that you are feeling attracted and that the person you're with feels attracted to you. Now they say statistically that 99% of people when they're feeling attracted to somebody else, it usually goes both ways. Now that's the goal, obviously. Now that doesn't necessarily happen with everybody, but in order for that person to have a good reference, they do need to feel that they are they are feeling that attraction. Um, and that's where self-esteem can set in, where somebody feels that the person doesn't really like them, or um, if that feeling of attraction, because I think unconsciously, a lot of us know when somebody's not really into us. But that's when seduction can become a state that we feel scared about. And so if somebody's being rejected by somebody or someone's having an intimate experience with somebody that is not a two-way street, they may, their brain, because we work on avoiding vulnerability, may stop the seduction stage. It's, it, it, it's really a key gateway to um turning ourselves on. So we are igniting that seduction. And if the brain feels safe, it can be a very, very positive experience. Um, and, and I think it also comes down to at the seduction stage, which is the first secret is about feeling safe, being seduced as well, being able to acknowledge that it's okay to feel sexy, you know, that's okay to have that sense of desire. So 
I think that what we need to do, if we haven't experienced that often enough, then a lot of people will just avoid intimate situations, so, and which is really sad because we're all sexual beings and mm. we all deserve to be in sexual relationships. Fascinating. Um, um, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of uh, sort of preempt something here, George, and I don't know if it's on the list of four, um, but I'm going to bring in the word heart. What part does that play? Or am I kind of jumping out of sync here? Please forgive me. I'm uh, I'm curious. I'm curious. <laughs> no, I think I think I think that um, I mean, if you're talking about love, I mean, I think somebody can find somebody very attractive, but not feel love for them. I mean, that's a very much a chemical reaction. I mean, you know, it's a, I guess this stage, I was talking to one of my friend's children the other day. And, you know, I think we've got to remember that casual sex is something that a lot of younger people do, older people do it as well. Um, so it's not necessarily that somebody feels that they have to be in love with the person. It's about that desire and feeling safe to honour that. Mm. Um, you know, being in love is a wonderful bit of it. Um, and then the secret number two is the senses. So if somebody really wants to enjoy going through the stages before you actually have sex or have that intimacy, it's really important to have the senses working with you in a positive way. For example, it could be that um, I'm sure you your senses will kind of ignite when I talk about this, a favourite perfume that makes you feel sexy. Um, it could be that you are aware that your ex-partner that really wasn't very good for your self-esteem wore a particular fragrance or aftershave, and then all of a sudden you start to feel, oh, if somebody wears that, I'm not going to feel safe. You know, that's how powerful the senses are. Yeah. And we forget that they can be positive or negative. Mm. Um, music, you know, I know that there are certain songs that, that you know ignite a sense of feeling sexy and being in the moment but equally if there's a music a, a track that you know once again ignites a feeling of rejection or fear or abandonment then that person won't feel safe so it's really important when you go on to you talked about the heart going on to that sense of feeling loved or connected or feeling safe you know the quantum um, physics the scientists have said that we are energy so the energy that you give out is really important. So the senses that need to be present after feeling that desire, that seed of attraction, then you need to have at least one of the senses being positive in order for that person to feel safe to be in that situation. And if none of those senses are there, then it will once again, that second stage won't necessarily be positive for that person. Listening to that, George, you made my uh, mind flit over to something I recently blogged around with, uh, and I think it fits in absolutely perfectly with with what you've just said there around the language we tell ourselves. You know, feeding that our subconscious this information around, you know, uh, I am sexy, I am vibrant, I am worthy. Um, you know, as opposed to oh, nobody will ever love me. Um, look, look, look what happened in my last relationship. She told me I was a failure and I'd never been I was a poor lover and yeah maybe she was right you know we have that choice don't we if we can just step back and witness these two kind of contrasting characters within us and choose one that serves us 
and say, okay, that's nearer to who I am. It's not truly who I am because I'm actually higher than that as well. But it's about choosing that language to feed to the, the you know, to the subconscious, isn't it? And these these neuropeptides that that go through our body, uh, like that, and you know, they send that signal all the way through. And that's that's a bit like sort of sending out a radio signal, isn't it? The receiver, he or she will listen to that and think, do you know what? Yeah, I like that music, and that's that attraction, isn't it? I mean, does that all kind of make sense? Mm, mm, absolutely. And every time we're intimate or we think about being intimate, we're stimulating our brain, whether it's a positive or negative experience. And the goal is that not every sexual experience is obviously going to be positive, but the majority of them are, and that it feeds our sense of self because being a sexual person is really, really important um, on, on every level because it's not just about feeling loved. It's, it's a skin-on-skin skin thing. I mean, you know, the sensations of touching somebody's skin-on-skin skin is really important. We, we know about how, um, um, you know, in, in um, retirement villages, when people go in and give people massages or in hospital when people go in and do somebody's hair, or, we know that we need to be touched. We know that skin-on-skin skin is a really profound, positive experience. And if you don't get it, then... Or if when you do experience, it makes you feel scared, then avoidance of being intimate, in you know, feeling vulnerable and avoiding will often create that habit in the brain. And as, as you know, I'm about hypnosis and changing that relationship within. Mm. Then you can start to, it, it becomes phobic. Um, it becomes something that we avoid. And when we avoid, a sense of ourself dies, a sense of ourselves you know, I, I think that it's really sad if you want to get over it but don't feel that you can. It's because there's something in your brain that says, don't go there, it's unsafe. And what the four secrets are about, and the, the book that I'm talking about, um, is about getting over it, getting the sensations, getting the seduction there, and then obviously going into the third secret, which is surrender which is the act itself. And it doesn't have to be a sexual act as in, you know, man and woman. It can be man and man, woman and woman. It doesn't have to be the actual act of having, um, you know, a penis going to a vagina. It's not about that. It's about allowing yourself to be there to um, let that person take control of your body in a way, in a positive way, surrendering to the experience and allowing yourself to be in the moment. And that for a lot of people is very, very challenging too. And that's interesting that the, the number three is surrender, that a lot of people will, if the first two are not there, the chances of three, which is actually having sex occurring and feeling safe and feeling that sense of being there, it's just not going to happen. It will be. It, it could happen, but it will be quick. It will be emotionally negative, and then that person once again builds up another uh, sense of I don't want to go there again. I don't want to be there again. Yeah. So people who have sex and don't like sex, it's not because they don't want to do it. It's because their brain thinks there's something wrong that they're going to get hurt. They're going to get rejected. Um, and actually, that's when blame starts. The partner who has shut down, blames a partner, they're not doing it for me or 
you know, they're a bad lover. And that could be true to a certain extent, but you have to take ownership of your own sexuality and your own desires. And, you know, a lot of people, um, people who are critical of sex, you know, a great example is, you know, we covered it before we talked about um, drinking, is that there is the perfectionist who expects everything to be perfect. Um, everything has to be in place. And if it's not, then they blame that lover for being bad at sex or whatever it is. But we have to take ownership. It's not anybody else's responsibility to actually please ourselves. It's about us mm-hmm. having all of those stages in there. Um, and I think that we have the inner saboteur, the sexual saboteur that says, you're too fat to have sex. They're not going to love you. Um, what's wrong with you? Um, you know, you need to have um, longer legs or you need to have sexy lingerie on, or it could be, you know, from a male perspective, um, you know, the anxiety that kicks in because of that saboteur, you, your last girlfriend said you were lousy in bed. All these things mm. can make us feel really bad about ourselves. And so sex becomes more of a chore or something that we feel we're obliged to do. And then the act itself is something we do just want to get over. Yeah. And that is something that I work with clients a lot. You know, if you haven't got that feeling of safety and just going with the flow and being in the moment, the actual stage of the sex bit is not going to be much fun. Do you find, Georgia, when that uh, when clients do come to you initially, that there is a a problem, and I use that term loosely, with the word surrender? How does that word initially, I mean, I understand the fuller and the bigger context of it, but I can. I also know from the work that I've done with, with people that initially that word's quite. Whoa! I'm not surrendering to anybody. Mm. Well, that's about not being able to be present. Um, anybody can be in the act, but not be present, and that is because there's something about. I mean, you know, it's very common. People who have uh, a sex addiction have a lot of sex, but they don't enjoy it. They're actually not enjoying it for the reasons that I think that as human beings we were put on this planet to enjoy. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people mis- misconstrue that a lot of people out there who have sex, that they must really like it. And that's not true for a lot of people. You know, One would hope that that's the case. But because it's such a private subject, um, you know, we've all heard that, you know, I think they look like they have really good sex um, or they must have more sex than me or whatever. We're all thinking <laughs> the same thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and, um, you know, and I know myself, I mean, the biggest fallacy is, you know, I've, I've just gone through menopause and, you know, it's changed a lot for me. I mean, from being a, a very sexual person, things have changed and, and you have to work with that. And I think that happens a lot of women will say to me and men, with their partner, you know, through the different stages, you know, in the very early stages when you meet somebody and you're having lots of sex and then all of a sudden the children come along and you're not having sex at all, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are just different phases. And I think people blame, really blame um, sometimes in the relationship the other party, but we still have to take responsibility for ourselves. I mean, one of the biggest um, issues a lot of women have 
after they have children, if the birth's been traumatic or breastfeeding's been traumatic or whatever it is, they may um, sadly turn themselves off sex because they think it means getting pregnant again or going through that emotional pain again. So there's so many reasons why we stop that feeling of wanting to be desired. Mm. Yeah. And then the, um, the fourth stage is the reflection. So if you look at, you know, going through one, two, and three, which is desire and building that attraction and then using all the senses and then the act itself, reflection is looking back. And if the first three weren't great, you know, it starts to build up in your mind because we know that the mind works on emotional history. So if you have a history of not feeling confident about sex, then you need to start to create positive references. And that's where the book and the hypnosis go starts it's because the book is really giving the reader the understanding about why this happens, how you can make that change. And then in, in the book, um, you know, which you can obviously buy from my website or you can get the ebook on my website, is about working with the hypnosis, starting to change those four stages in your mind because we know hypnosis is such a brilliant tool at creating new references. And I say to people, it doesn't matter how many bad references you have, you can change that. You know, if it, and a great example of that is to, you know, from a very different perspective, if a client says to me, Georgia, I have a fear of flying, I say to them, well, the only reason why you have a fear of flying is because you don't have the right references. And then during hypnosis, we start to engage the brain. For example, I could be talking about um, getting the passport out, looking at, looking, at, um, looking at travel articles or anything that you feel um, will ignite a sense of excitement. And then I will work with them hypnot hypnotically to take them through that flight using the sound of the, the um, uh, you know, the door, the air, air the, 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 flight, you know, the door closing, clicking your seatbelts, um, the smell of engine fuel, um, you know, all those sensations, those senses that we experience when flying. And what we love, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but the power of hypnosis, it's a natural, it's a really good way to naturally shift someone's feelings about anything that was negative in, in a very quick way. Mm. And so if you use the analogy of a fair of flying and then getting on the plane and surrendering and being in the moment and thinking, actually, this feels good, and then getting off the plane and saying, I want to do that again, that's exactly the same thing but with sex. And that's what, you know, we're about, my mum and I, is with the book is saying, you know what, it doesn't matter your history of sex. You can change that. Yeah. And, you know, on a, a sort of more general and more general note, George, if that message prevails, doesn't it, whether it's sex, drugs or rock and roll, we can change. If it ain't serving, change it. And, you know, I do kind of really sort of push this and say, do you know what, guys? It is as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, the practicalities, maybe it's not as simple as that, but I, I choose personally, I choose the language that says, yes, it is. Because 
I, I personally take that responsibility that you allude to, Georgia, quite rightly, in my humble opinion, that we all have, we all need to shoulder that responsibility. And the language that I choose um, as one that it's took decades to sort of scramble through the mess, if that's even the right way to, you know, to sort of frame the learning that's taken place. But looking back on it now and all the sort of left turns that uh, I took when I, I'm going to use this word, should have took, um, where, you know, should have took the right. Well, that's that's experience, that's wisdom. But, you know, when you know how to crack the code, it's it's an instantaneous job, isn't it, rather than decades. And, and you know, so I love everything that you've unfolded here because it kind of ties in in a very strong parallel with my own sort of more general approach to mastering the game of life. So, you know, thank you for these invaluable shares. Priceless. No, that's absolutely fine. I think it's important. We should be teaching this at a young age. And I think mm. that... Um, you know, I, I I look back at the years of being a practitioner um, and hearing what people or how they talk about sex. It's really sad that a lot of people have these particular habits in their brains about what sex really is. Um, and, you know, I think it's something, it's still taboo to talk about. It's still something that a lot of people are shy about. And we need to, as you said, cracking the code is about being honourable and not being afraid to be a sexual person and start making some changes. And it doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship to do this. You know, the great thing about the book, you don't have to find that perfect partner to experience this. This can be the same thing can be with, you know, masturbation. It can be, you know, having some sex toys, just trying to feel those sensations yourself because when you honour them with yourself, then you can then translate that with somebody else. And I think that's really important to note. You don't have to be in a relationship to be a sexual person. And a lot of people feel that, and that can affect their self-esteem. Sex is something we need to honour is about us, that the brain being the biggest sex organ, that if that's not functioning properly, when you do meet that person, then it's not going to be as great as it could be. Mm. Yeah, superb. Absolutely superb. So... If, if I was to say to you, I mean, you've given us four very um, immense aspects there to, you know, the four secrets, so to speak, Georgia. If I was to have to say to you, not necessarily pick one of those four out, but more generically, you know, leaving a message to the world, a, a legacy level message to the world, um, not just necessarily around this, this specific subject of sex, but, or it could be, but more generally, what would be that, you know, and I asked you the same question, obviously, previously, when we did the drink focused um, conversation but what would be that what would be another Georgia another really powerful message just one message to leave to the world what would that be from your perspective I think being a sexual person is just a great gift because it will lift your self esteem and I think that everybody needs to honour that we have an incredible mind-body connection. And when it's working in the right way, life is so much easier. I think that shutting down that sexual part of us often leads to other detrimental emotional issues. So honouring that we can change, we can really change with the right tools. Wow. Thank you. 
How do people reach out to you, Georgia? How do people uh, get to find out more about you? What's your contact, your, your primary contact details? Yeah, my website is georgiafoster.com. That's G-E-O-R-G-I-A Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R.com. And you can buy the book online um, through the website and we will send out an e-version for you with all of the um, hypnotherapy tracks that come with it. That's the best way to do it really um, because it's, it's all what comes in one package. And then you can just start reading the book and listening to the recordings. But any questions, please let me know. Superb. Thank you once again, Georgia. So there we have it, listeners. The very, very informative and entertaining, I will say even, um, Georgia Foster from Melbourne in Australia. And all that remains now, listeners, is for me to sign off by saying, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 